to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, business continuity, emergency response, crisis communications, and anything that uh, relates to those fields. As always, if there's a topic you would like us to talk about um, related to uh, any of those fields, please feel free. Send me an email, info at stone-road.com. Or on the uh, um, radio website, there is a, a button to send the host a message, and uh, you can send me an email, and I will take a look at it and uh, get in contact with you and see what we can arrange and uh, get you on the show to talk about it or find someone to come on the show and talk about the subject you want. I've mentioned before that uh, I'm an avid reader and I like to do a lot of reading, and sometimes I come across things that uh, I want to talk about you know, that specifically focus on. And if you're uh, a regular listener to the show, you will have heard the expression lessons learned, you know, or lessons observed. That's cropped up quite a bit. And I knew on my bookshelf, I had a book called The Lessons Learned Handbook by Nick Milton. And I thought, you know what, this keeps coming up as a major topic in every second show. This keeps cropping up as, as an item that we as disaster planners and business continuity professionals really should understand a little bit more. So I reached out to Nick and I'm happy to have Nick on the show to talk to us about it. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much indeed, Alex. Thank you for inviting me. Well, as I said, the the lessons learned seems to crop up quite a bit. And I even hear about it in my my daily work, you know, when I go off to, to work with clients. And there seems to be a big misunderstanding of what lessons learned is. So I thought, you know what, let's get a subject matter expert here uh, to talk about it. But before we jump into that, can you kind of give us a little bit of a, a bio on yourself and, you know, what you do and how you got to where you are today? And... Yeah, sure, Alex. Um, well, I started my working life back in 1980, working for the um, for the oil sector, working for big oil. And back in those days, I was working as a geologist which is, I guess, probably about as far from lesson learning as you can get. Um, but in uh, 1992, I was working in Norway, and, and my role started to shift. Um, and I started looking at the quality of the work that the geological professionals were doing in the Norway office. And um, we began to realize that that was all about knowledge and all about how people built up and shared their knowledge. So we set up, I think, what was one of the very early knowledge management systems in that office, which relied really very heavily on lesson learning. And that was the stage where I began to shift in my career from being um, a, a geological professional to somebody looking more at how organizations learn 
Um, I left the oil sector in 1999. Uh, I started my own little company called NOCO, K-N-O-C-O, um, providing knowledge management consultants to many, many industries. And a core component of knowledge management is lesson learning, because that is one of the most common ways in which organizations try to build and maintain their knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So so that's, that's how I got where I am today. Um, what I do as part of that role is, is consult with um, a whole number of organizations. Uh, you know, I, w- I would go in and, and audit a lesson learning system. I would go and look at how organizations are learning and try and make suggestions for improvement. And uh, it's taken me to some very interesting corners of the globe, I do have to say. Well, I'm sure. And I guess that led, led to the book, The Lessons Learned Handbook, Practical Approaches to Learning from Experience. Yes. Well, I was, I've, I've written a few books. I think that one was number four. And I was looking around um, at what had been published. And I was really quite amazed to see that there was no guidebook to lesson learning that was publicly available. So uh, I thought I'd write it, and it has, uh, it's, it's proven very popular. Well, I'm glad you did write it because, I, as I said, you know, lessons learned kept popping up in my, my daily work and through the show, and I went, you know what, I, I want to go look into this, and that's when I found this and had to you know, read through, and then I thought, you know what, let's reach out to Nick and get him on here to talk about it. So, so I'm glad you did. Yeah, Okay, so um, it, it's a big topic, I guess, Alex. Where would you like to start? Well, let, let's define a lesson. What is a lesson in layman's terms so everyone can understand it? You know, what, are we, what kind of thing are we oh, talking yeah. about? Well, it's, it's a word we hear all the time, isn't it? You hear, you know, you hear your friends say, golly, I really learned a lesson from that. You hear it in the news all the time. You know, lessons must be learned. But it's. Mm-hmm. But what is a lesson? Um, I, 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 I would like to distinguish. I think between a lesson and a lesson learned, and people use those two terms interchangeably, and they are different. I would say a lesson is. It's a statement, a recommendation, if you like, based on experience from which others can learn. I sometimes say to people, a lesson is something you can teach. It's not necessarily. It's something you've learned personally, but it's something you can teach and you can pass on. So think of it as that that thing, that little nugget of wisdom that you can pass on to others. And I think if we're looking in the in the world of disasters, emergency response, and so on, those lessons are really, really valuable. If you learn something from a flood or a fire that you can pass on to the next flood or fire to help help the emergency services work better more effectively or more safely, then that's a lesson, and that's what you should be passing on. Mm -hmm. But you can't say that's a lesson learned, really, until you know it's been embedded. Um, A lesson, you can have a lesson identified, which is that thing that you've, you've analyzed your experience and you think, this is really important, I'm going to pass this on. That's an identified lesson. But a lesson is not learned until something changes as a result. And that's either going to be a change in behavior in the future or a change in the way people work, a change in procedures, practices, um, and so on. Does that mm-hmm. make sense, the difference between a lesson 
identified and a lesson learned. So I, I hear the term lesson observed. What's What would you define that as? Oh, yeah. Well, lesson observed and lesson identified is pretty much the same thing. Uh, I mean, okay. if, if, let me give you a really sort of personal example. Imagine you're going on holiday, you're doing your packing, you get to the resort, you open your suitcase, and you've forgotten your phone charger. You think, oh, wow, there's, there's a lesson. And you can make yourself a mental note to next time pack your phone charger. That's a lesson observed or a lesson identified. I must pack a phone charger. But how do you make that a real lesson learned? The way you make it a real lesson learned is you have your packing list and you add to that packing list phone charger. And next time you're going on holiday, you get out your packing list, you run down it, you tick all the items off. That's lesson learned because you've, you've made a change. You've made a change to your packing list. But up uh, to that point, until you've made the change, it's just observed. Okay. Okay. Great. That, that's good to know because I know these, both of these terms, well, actually all three kind of just uh, uh, kind of crop up all the time. You know, and uh, I know I ha had a couple of guests who said, uh, you know, a lesson learned is just a lesson observed until it's actually actioned. That's it. It's the action. The action, the embedding of that lesson into change is what, makes, is what allows you to say, yes, I've learned that lesson. Okay. And if you, if you, if you don't ahead. embed it, you know, if you don't write it in your packing list, the chances are next year you unpack your suitcase and you've forgotten your charger again. And there's a lesson observed. <laughs> You've observed it twice now, but you've not learned it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what is a lessons learning system? I know you write about that in your book. What is that? Okay, now that is the system by which an organization puts in place the elements that allow lessons to be firstly observed and secondly taken through into action. Now, it sounds simple. Um, many, many organizations try to do this. They try to set up a lesson learning system so lessons can be systematically observed, documented, and acted upon. But it's really quite hard to do because if you think about the mechanics of actually analyzing lessons and then checking that they are valid and you can make changes and deciding who's going to make the change and tracking the change, all of that is is rather more complicated than you first think. Now, lots of organizations um, will identify lessons, they'll observe lessons, they'll document them, they'll put them in the back of a project report, and then they just hope that the next person who needs that lesson will come looking and will find that report and will dig it out, will read to the end and find the lesson. That's, that's not very effective. That's collecting a whole lot of lessons observed or lessons identified and and then just hoping and praying that people will act on them. A lesson learning system, if it's truly systematic, takes those lessons and routes them to the right people who can make the right change so that that new, that new little nugget of knowledge gets embedded in practice so the next person can pick it up. Well, I know from working in, in project management and program management myself that, you know, we do identify a lot of lessons, you know, identified um, yep. and we do, you know, document them. And, you know, it, and as you say, we hope someone comes along and looks at it. You know, it doesn't really become <laughs> actioned for the next program that comes along. Yeah. But what, hope, why do you think that happens? What, 
why do you think that happens? What's what's part of that challenge? Well, part of the challenge is is involving a whole different class of people. I mean, you're talking about the project managers. The project managers are are very well aware of the value of lessons because they've seen things go wrong on projects and they've got to the end and they've thought, I wish we'd done that differently. But to actually embed that lesson in a, in, in a procedure, you've got to then involve the people who are not necessarily working on the projects, but the people who are in charge of the procedures. Let me give you an example. Let's one industry that is really fantastic at lesson learning is aviation. And of course, for them, it's, it's a matter of life and death. You know, a lesson is usually something that goes wrong on a flight. And there is really, really valuable knowledge there. If you have a, a flight that is either there's a near miss or it's grounded or it, it does a crash landing, the first thing that will happen is an investigation team will go in and try and understand why. Why did that happen? They'll draw out the lessons, and the lessons will either go straight to the supplier of the aircraft, so they fix the aircraft, or they'll go straight into the pilot's manual, so the next time that there's an incident, the pilot has that knowledge at their fingertips. But that involves a different class of people other than the pilots. The pilots can't do it for themselves. It requires other people to come in and build those checklists and do those investigations. Hmm. So is that what some of the like organizations and, and things like that, their, their challenges, they kind of use the same people so we don't pay attention to them? It's like, oh, that's just, we, we look at it more of, well, that may be your preferred way of doing it. and and when really it's uh, you know a lesson they're trying to communicate uh yeah i think you you started off talking about project management and the, and the project office it's very often the project office that looks after lesson learning but imagine um you've got lots of lessons about contracting and lots mm. of projects are saying, well, look, our contracting system is wrong. We're not getting the subcontracts right. The project managers themselves can't take action on that. That needs to go to the contracts department and the procurement people. So they need to bring in, they, they need to be brought into the chain and they need to buy into this concept that mm -hmm. lesson learning is actually coming up with lots of little helpful improvements that will help get the contracts better. They need to be listening to that. They need to be listening to the project managers and making the changes. So when you get to the next project, those subcontracts are better. Ah, so for our, our disaster planners and, and crisis management planners out there, we, we can't just identify it. We, we need to do something about it. We need to bring those uh, identified lessons and bring them up you know, a level to, to our you know, our. It could be our project management offices. It could be our, um, you know, whichever office is responsible for disaster recovery and enact those changes. We can't just document them. We've got to actually do something with them, push them forward. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Yes. You've got to put, you've got to make changes. You've got to change, change the way you work, change the, the roles, the processes, the technologies you use, change your policies, change your whatever it might be that needs to be changed. And that's the hard bit. 
Yeah. Oh, I know it's the hard part. I, I've, I've been through way too many lessons learned, quote, workshops. And really, it, you know, you end up doing uh, six months later, sitting in another lessons learned workshop, and you're identifying the exact same things. You know, nothing, yeah. nothing ever really changes. Nothing's changed. And it, as I said just now, if nothing changes, nothing's been learned. That's right. We've only learned how to schedule meetings and, you know, bring the same people together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what what you need to put in a, a proper lesson learning system, it almost becomes a whole company business. Um, you need the buy-in of the very senior management. You need them to understand that there's a huge amount of value in this ability to learn. And mm -hmm. you need them to set the expectation that, the organization will learn. They will take this seriously, and everybody has to do their part. It's, uh, we had a really great vision of that from Lord Brown when I was working in BP. Um, he said, if you're not making a profit for the business, you should be creating and distributing knowledge so that others can make a profit. And parting of that, part of that creating and distributing knowledge is is in the form of lessons learned because each each lesson is a little increment of knowledge, an increment of wisdom gained through experience, looking for a change to be made. And and Brown was very very hot on this. He, he really championed the whole process. But it needs that sort of championship from the top if it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Because if you you're you're doomed to keep uh, repeating your your same failures over and over again, then right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we see that we see that many times with organizations, you know, that keep making the headlines for almost for the same reasons. Yeah. Now there, there, I saw recently, and I can't remember the um, the reference for it. I saw recently an analysis of lesson learning in the disaster response area, and it it is a particularly difficult area because it is quite political. And some of the changes that need to be made are, are political changes. Um, and that, that gets hard. Yes. You know, what, what is easy to change is the tactics that we use in a particular disaster. What is difficult to change is the strategy because that becomes political. It's like, right. it's like as, as they say about the military, they're, they're really good at learning how to fight the last war. Mm -hmm. But the next war is going to be different, and and to be able to learn about the next war requires some very high level thinking, some strategic level thinking rather than tactical. Now, I think I think we could get in into quite a sad conversation about that. Uh, but <laughs> having said that, you know there is a lot of value in getting the tactics right. Okay. So on on that note, we're going to take our first break. We're talking with Nick Milton, the author of Lessons Learned, uh, The Lessons Learned Handbook, Practical Approaches to Learning from Experience, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest 
show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking with author Nick Milton uh, about the Lessons Learned Handbook. And just before we went away on a break, uh, Nick, we were talking about the Lessons Learned System. And you're giving us a good overview on that. Can you kind of give us, um, you know, what what steps are involved with that? Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Um, I'm going I'm going to look at it really quite simply and say there are three steps. The first step is the identification of the lesson. The second is the learning of the lesson, and then the third is the application of that learned lesson. So the first step, which I think the the majority of our listeners will be familiar with is actually identifying, discussing, and documenting the lesson. Even that is, um, even that has a few sub-steps in it. Uh, the, the guys in the military talk about observations, insights, lessons. An observation is, is you, you, you observe something, something has happened. The next step is to analyze that observation um, to come out with a root cause analysis, that's, that's the insight. Why did this thing happen? And then the lesson is to really generalize and make the recommendation for the future. So next time, we should do this instead of that. All of that is the step of identifying a lesson. And what generally happens next is to put an action on that lesson. Now, you can do that in the same meeting, and I, that's what I like to do. You know, you've got everybody around a table. You can say, well, how do we fix this in the system? How do we make sure this is properly embedded? What action should we take? Other organizations, um, 
I was I was with NATO a couple of weeks ago. They have a team of analysts who look at observations that come from the field, and they do the analysis and come out with the lessons. Mm-hmm. And they put the actions on those lessons. So here's here's our documented lesson with an observation, an insight, a lesson, and an action. The next step is to get that action taken. So you then send a notification to whoever you need to notify. Um, the example I gave earlier, maybe it, of, of, of the contract lessons, maybe it goes, goes to the procurement department and says, please take this action. Or maybe it goes to human resources, or maybe it goes to the person in charge of a particular process or procedure. And the lesson says, please update this procedure. Uh, once that procedure has been updated, we can assume that the lesson has been learned. Assuming that, the next people come along and follow the procedure. So that's the third step, is actually um, accessing and acting on that lesson. Now, we can see the three steps very clearly in the aviation industry example I, I gave you earlier. Uh, you, you've got a an aircraft that's done a crash landing. The first thing is the investigation team comes in and does all of the analysis and draws out the lessons. The second stage is somebody takes the action of updating the pilot's checklist. And the third stage is next time something goes wrong with a plane, the pilot reaches immediately for the checklist. And they do. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's ingrained behave, behavior in pilots that you know, the first thing you do after putting on your oxygen mask is reach for the checklist because they know that that checklist is is the distillation of the wisdom of hundreds of crashed flights. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, if you like, the, the three basic steps to observe and document, to make the change, and then to follow the new procedure. Just just out of curiosity, because I, because I mentioned I, I've sat through so many um, lessons learned, quote, workshops, um, mm-hmm. Do you think there's a challenge with identifying things we should keep doing and challenges with things that we didn't do right? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Um, people talk a lot about learning from failures, learning from mistakes. What NASA do in their lesson learning is they say we're going to learn from events, and events can be either good or bad or generally a mixture of the two. And whether it is mm-hmm. good or whether it is bad, we're going to learn from it. If something goes right then you need to understand why it went right so that other people can ensure it goes right for them as well. If it goes wrong, you need to understand why it went wrong so other people can avoid it. Now, you you see this very clearly, Alex, when you're talking about safety lessons. And Mm -hmm. safety is another area where there is fantastic investigation into near misses and accidents and incidents. But I often say to organizations, you know, the most valuable learning is from the site that has never had an accident or a near miss or an incident because they're doing something right. And we need to look Mm -hmm. at the people who are doing it right as well as the people who are doing it wrong. I I know I find a a lot of focus on um, uh, when we get to the lessons learned workshops that they – there, there are people that want to point fingers. This is what you did wrong. This is what you did wrong. How how do you feel about that? That's something I try and avoid. Um, I use, uh, personally, I use process very similar to the military after action review process where you, you ask three classes of question, what was supposed to happen, what actually happened, why did it happen, and how do we 
fix for next time. You talk about what, why, and how. You never talk about who. You've got to take the human out of the equation and say, what can we fix? And it's not about fixing people. I mean, there, there, there are cases where people do deliberately screw up, but mm-hmm. 99% of the time it's because the system's wrong. Right. Okay. That's good, because uh, I know I've got a uh, kind of a lessons learned workshop coming up soon, so <laughs> I'm going to take this information with me. <laughs> yeah, and you can set that up at the start of the meeting. You can say, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're not here to point fingers. We're not here to look for villains or for heroes. We're here to pull together what we've learned to help the next team. And then yes. as a facilitator, you just carry that through the whole meeting. And if there's any um, any attempts at finger pointing, then then you try and and deal with that. Sometimes right. you'll find that people will say, oh, well, it was a supplier. The supplier let us down. Uh, they'll blame a third party, in which case you have to say, well, what could we have done? What could we have done to ensure the supplier didn't let us down? What are right. we going to do next time to pre-qualify that supplier? So you always bring it back to into the room, into things that people can fix internally. Right. I'll be using this approach. Thank you. <laughs> so let's Good. move to our ne- next item. Um, the lesson learned uh, approaches. I know you have four different um, uh, approaches. Can you kind of uh, give us uh, an overview of what those are? Yes, that was that was from that's from the handbook, isn't it? That's from yes, yeah, uh, fairly early on in the handbook. And I think what I was looking at there is the sort of. It's almost like the philosophy that organizations like to take. Um, so I, I split the, the philosophy out by two axes. And there's the formal, informal axis. You know, you have some organizations which are very formal. Others are much, much prefer to be informal. And the second axis is what we call connect or collect. Collect mm-hmm. is the approach where you like to document things and collect documents and items connect is where you like to put people together so they can talk so that gives us four quadrants there's the informal way of connecting people which is what we see now in social media and that is a way of allowing lessons to be shared around an organization if you have learned a lesson you can pop something on yammer or twitter Um, and it gets out to people who might need to know it. Mm -hmm. Or you can connect people more formally into networks, communities of practice, that sort of thing, in which case um, you have defined membership, you know, all of the the firefighting people could be part of the firefighter network, and they can post lessons out to each other in that way. Those are... I think these, these are very, very valuable, and you can see some really interesting examples of those professional networks. The firefighters is, is a good example. I don't know if you've ever seen the wildlandfire.com portal. It's a fantastic no, resource. It's well so, worth looking at. Fantastic resource of, of, of lessons, both in documentary form and video form, that um, these people are just sharing with each other. Really useful. Sorry, that was wildfire? Uh, wildlandfire.com, I think it is. Wildlandfire. 
Com. Okay, we'll have to check that out and see what yeah, we can do I, with that. Okay. Yes. So, I, what are some of the quite, informal ways then? Well, the informal way would be, um, uh, as I said, the social media, the social media way. So you would have uh, a much less structured approach. People would um, follow each other on the in-house version of Twitter or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of organizations that do prefer that informality. I think but there's a danger to all of that, isn't there, though? The informal stuff? I because think there the, is. The, with social uh, media, you know, we, we know there's people make things up and there's rumor and conjecture. So there, there would be some sort of a, uh, a danger to that. Yeah. And I think those of us working in the, in the emergency sectors, disaster planning, disaster response, we feel the the weight of expectation upon us and we tend to be a little bit more formal about the way we work and a little bit more careful because the lessons we deal with are you know there are lives at stake lives and and property and people's livelihoods at stake so i think we tend towards the more formal side mm-hmm. and then you get the other the other dimension which is the collection of documents and you see that also on the wildlandfire.com the fact that there is a, a fantastic collection of documents. This is our formal collect where uh, a community of people have come together and, and built a library, if you like. Another fantastic example would be, um, going back to aviation, something called Skybrary, like library, but it starts with sky. Skybrary. Skybrary. Yeah, have a look at that. That's that's a formal collection of all of the lessons and all of the guidance from the aviation sector. You know, lessons about air traffic control near misses, lessons about accident reports, all sorts of things, a fantastic resource. That's our formal way of collecting documents. And then you have the informal way, the people with their blogs, uh, the use of, of wikis that everybody can contribute to. Uh, again, in, in some sectors, uh, that's preferred. Some sectors like that more informal approach. So that gives you, if you like, four different philosophical endpoints, whether it's people chatting on social media, whether it's people with a shared library, whether it's a formal network, or whether it's just encouraging blogging. I think the organization has to make that choice. What what philosophy do they want to take? But I'm with you, Alex. I think that the world that we live in, we need to be that little bit more formal, a little bit more careful. Um, so I think the informal approaches are less valuable for us. Yeah, there, makes- there's there's so much that uh, happens, you know, on social media that you just know. You know, people are making things up or they're hearing it third, fourth hand, and they're just coming to their own conclusions that you certainly don't want to be an organization or a community or any kind of industry taking one of their um, items as a a lesson learned type thing and then trying to action it when, you know, it wasn't legitimate to start with. Yeah. You know, that can be uh, very dangerous for everybody, you know, at at some point. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, th- I think my my preference is for the formal side, and I think you you balance that connecting the people and collecting the documents. Would you be able to using the formal side? Would you be able to um, during those formal sessions, kind of um, how do I word this? 
collect the informal stuff and say, you know, and and you kind of alluded to it before, you know, bring it back in-house to say that was there anything we did that may have promoted some of this informal um, misinformation going out there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's that's well worth looking at. Okay. If, if that if that is observed to have been an issue, then that's the sort of thing that you would analyze and you you try and work out how to fix it next time. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of our second segment, so we're going to take another break. We're talking with Nick Milton, author of the Lessons Learned Handbook, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, We're talking today with Nick Milton, the author of the Lessons Learned Handbook. We've been getting some great tips and uh, ideas about our lessons learned or practices that uh, we have in our project management offices and our disaster programs and business continuity when anything occurs, you know, things to take into consideration. Um, Matt, the question I have, uh, sorry, Matt, Nick, <laughs> sorry for everyone out there. Matt is our sound engineer guy. <laughs> uh, Nick, I'm wondering who should own this? Who should own lessons learned? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, or does it even have a single point? I think it does. Yeah, I think it does because, um, if you think about what 
think about the types of people or the divisions within the organization that lesson learning will will impact. You need, obviously, to involve the project, the project managers, the project teams, the project management office, but you also need to involve all the supporting departments, the engineering department, the planning department, um, procurement, HR, IT. So ideally, somebody should own this at a sort of C-grade level, like the chief operating officer, um, somebody like that, who can look across all of these bodies and make sure they're aligned. That's the high-level sponsorship, if you like. But then you have um, a sort of operational owner who manages and maintains the, the lesson management system. We'll talk about that in a moment, I guess. You probably need a lesson management person or if you're a large organization, a lesson management team. Mm-hmm. And in any organization with a PMO, that probably needs to sit within the PMO. What that team will do is draw in the lessons from every project, make sure that they are, are validated, make sure they're well-written, make sure they've, they've got appropriate actions assigned, then assign and track those actions. And the aim in any organization, the aim should be to close out 100% of lessons into an embedded action. And it's that lesson management team that makes sure that happens. So all those members have roles and responsibilities to make sure certain things get done, right? Um, yeah. I, th- I think that the team I'm talking about, their accountability is to make sure that each lesson is, is acted on, each lesson becomes learned. Mm-hmm. And they will pass out the action to to many other people, to the contracts people, the HR people, the IT people, the, the people who look after policies or doctrines or procedures. Um, and then if, make, if make sure that they, they're actually done, completed, right? That kind of exactly. a thing? Okay. That, that's it. Make sure that they, they are completed and completed in a timely manner. And then the other thing the, the uh, lesson management team can do is promote the whole concept. You know, they can capture the stories of lessons that have made it all the way through and, and led to improved project performance and so on. Because I think that's quite important to actually look for the success stories mm-hmm. because that, that's where it brings it home to people that this is really well worth doing. Right. So during our break, our, our second break there, I, I had mentioned uh, to you the timing of lessons learned. Now, so I'm wondering, you know, when should lessons learned occur? Like, uh, yeah, I, I know I keep referencing workshops. Um, it's basically because I'm using the terminology of the, the client I'm working with right now. But, yeah. you know, when, when should these kind of things occur? Well, I think you, a lesson learned is, is by, a lesson learned workshop by its very nature is, is post hoc. It's after the event. So it has to occur after some after some milestone or event in the project. Now, I think what you can do, Alex, is you can work at multiple levels. You can have little lesson learned systems where the lessons are kept within the project and the lessons are, you know, we must get build a new laptop and get Susie a better desk and we must act on this now. And these are all lessons for the project team. 
but then you have the points at which you identify the lessons for export to other projects. And I think mm -hmm. that is after the big milestones in the project, whether it's the big stage gates or whether it is the... Um, uh, what sort of clients are you talking about, Alex, of well, it, industry? It, it could be, um, let's say, financial institutions, uh, as an example. You know, or, or really could be anybody. You know, it sometimes there's uh, small events uh, that occur that don't impact the rest of the organization. You know, or there's something that occurs that impacts the entire organization. So I'm kind of yep. wondering, you know, and I, I think you kind of addressed it. You know, when if it if it's a smaller item that occurs, well, then you don't need everybody involved. You know, just those that were uh, you know impacted by that small. Mm -hmm. Uh, issue and then you hold your your lessons learned you know the system and go through what needs to get done and if it's a larger one that impacts more well then you have more people involved and understand you know more what needs to uh, to change and you know uh, be addressed yeah. yeah that's right and and also if you are looking for lessons to export to other projects you've got to leave it long enough i think to be to be to be sure that you've got the right lesson because sometimes mm. you can start off doing something you think is right and then there's unintended consequences and you find later on it wasn't right at all um like a so knee-jerk reaction like a knee-jerk reaction yeah mm. so it isn't really till the end of a project or an end of a project stage that you can see the consequences of your decision so i think even if you are collecting little lessons all the way through you've still got that end project or end stage so you could have multiple stages where you collect those lessons and, and export them to others. Now, another thing I have seen done in the oil sector, which I think is a really interesting approach, is what they call the first-year performance review. Um, imagine uh, an oil company is building a big offshore platform. It may cost them billions of dollars. They go through this project. It takes several years. They have lessons learned meetings at, at intervals throughout and then a big one at the end looking at the construction of that, that platform. But then they go back a year later and, and ask the, the tougher questions like, is this platform in the right place? Is it producing the amount of oil we thought it was or we thought it was going to? Did it, is it working the way we planned? And I quite like that. You know, you could, you could think of a... Think of architects, for example, architect construction firm. Um, they could draw out the lessons of, of designing a hospital, and building a hospital, but maybe they go back to that hospital a year later and see how it's operating and look at the impact of the decisions they made in the design stage and how they impact the operation of that hospital. So there mm. is a really good case for taking that longer view. Oh, I see. That would be interesting. Mm. Yeah, wouldn't it? And I'd, I'm not quite sure how that did, works in a disaster did, context, but maybe you would go back to a, a flooded area a year later and, say, and, and, and look and, and see how the consequences of the actions you took in that, in that, in that event played mm -hmm. out over the subsequent year. And that you might learn some really quite unexpected things that way. Yes, did our decisions, did our deployments um, you know, for for equipment and, and and resources, 
did we do it right based on the information we knew or did you know was there something we could learn from it and do it better so it would be more efficient and yeah. faster sort of thing and did did we leave that region safer yes than it was exactly when we started? yeah so let's look at um what kind of technologies are there to support this you know what 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 kind of oh. processes uh, you know or or tech, uh, IT technologies should we consider you know, maybe that we can use to, to help with this whole thing? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think people are used to storing lessons in, in a folder. Well, I think yeah, the, if the, the, the real default is to leave the lessons in the project report, which is, which is yes. really pretty daft because you, you know, you don't know what the lessons are until you've retrieved that report and opened it, and then you find they're not relevant at all. What you should do is have some form of database system where you can tag and um, categorize each lesson so that you can go in afterwards and say, show me every lesson on dam failures, every lesson on uh, the use of chainsaws in forest fires, so that you can sort those lessons out really by category, because that's what people are going to be interested in. If, if you are you know, trying to shore up a dam or, or buy a load of chainsaws, you need that right. sort of specificity. So we're not talking about documents in a folder now, we're talking about items in a database. And the great thing about treating items in a database is that you can then start to put a workflow in to the lessons. You can say, right, I've learned a lesson about um, chainsaws. Uh, I'm going to tag it with chainsaws. There's an action. I'm going to put in the name of the person who needs to take action, the guy who procures all our chainsaws. I press the button and the system emails that person. Mm -hmm. Now, there are, I only know of two commercial systems that will do that. Um, most of the time where I've seen organizations with this sort of, I call it a lesson management system, it's not really a database, it's more sophisticated than that. Most of the time, organizations have built it for themselves. I think it's probably not a very difficult thing to do, to buy, you know, build some sort of SQL database where each lesson is a single field. Um, but there are a couple of commercial, um, commercial products out there at the moment. So... I think, I, I, go ahead. just sticking with that idea, if, if you want to see something that comes close, uh, then the NASA Lessons Learned database is a good one. Um, let me see if I can just remember the, uh, the URL of that. I think it's, let me just look it up as we're talking. And what I like about the NASA Lessons Learned database is the lessons are, um, they're categorized not only by where they came from, but what they're talking about. So you can look at all um, lessons associated with rocket launch, for example, or flight equipment or flight operations. The URL for that is llis.nasa.gov. And LLIS stands for Lessons Learned Information System. NASA.gov. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I'll, take a, I'll be taking a look at that quality. one. <laughs> yeah, the quality of those lessons is good as well. They've got a lot of detail in there. And NASA also have a system of making sure that these lessons are acted upon. 
it's not the originator of the lesson who adds the action. It's another group that comes along later and says, what do we need to fix for this lesson? Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe if you look at any single lesson in the NASA database, there's a field that says evidence of recurrence control effectiveness, which is NASA speak for what have we done about it? Mm -hmm. Well, we only have uh, two minutes left, uh, less than two minutes left, actually. So Please, I'm just I'm I'm wondering, oh, no, it's been great information. Uh, Nick, would, is there anything that you would like to close on? Any message you would like to close on? Um, I think that, uh, well, first of all, let me, let me correct something I said earlier. That wildfire site is actually wildfirelessons.net. Oh, yes. So that's, that's a good one I okay. would recommend to our, our listeners, wildfirelessons.net. Um, I think lesson learning, the first thing to do really is to understand what it's worth. Um, some of the studies we did in the oil sector suggested that effective lesson learning will cut 12% off project cost, 17% off project time in a program of, of projects. And that's a lot of money, and that's well worth doing. And then the second thing is to realize that this is a system that goes beyond just collecting and documenting, but involves acting on those lessons. And if we can act on every lesson, then we can say, yes, we are truly learning from our experience. That's a good message uh, that hopefully everyone uh, gets. So I'd like to thank you, Nick, for uh, being a part of the show. There's some great information that you gave us here, and I'm really glad that we were able to expand on some of the comments that previous uh, shows have spoken on, you know, to really understand some of the mechanics behind this, you know, um, the lessons learned versus, you know, actually doing something about them, you know, giving us some ideas and some reference information uh, to go and have a look at. Um, it's a really good book, The Lessons Learned Handbook, Practical Approaches to Learning from Experience. Uh, Nick Milton, you can get that on Amazon. Um, that's where I got it. Uh, I recommend it. It's great. There's a lot of uh, good information in there. Thank you, Nick, for joining us. Oh, thank you, Alex, for inviting me. It's It's been a, a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, and to all the listeners out there, uh, just a reminder, uh, please feel free. Come see me at the Contingency and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th to 31st at the World Conference on DisasterManagement.org. Um, and I think it's backslash CRT and just come by and see me and maybe we can get you on the show or we can just chat and uh, maybe get you a recorded message. Otherwise, uh, feel free, send me uh, just an email with uh, any information or questions you have and maybe we could put a show together and answer everyone's questions. In the meantime, stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.